Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. Next week. This week we have a special guest speaker. Um, you know, uh, Andrew uh, and I go back quite a ways. He came to one of our Bible studies when we used to meet out at Dan Reese's um, the farm, the Reese farm on Wednesday nights. And uh, he came out, uh, a friend uh, of his that was involved in another Calvary Chapel, invited him to come. And uh, I think I was teaching in John 16, was it? John 15. And, uh, you know, at the end, I, I knew we had a visitor. There was a small group of people, and so I just invited, anybody want to pray to receive Christ? And Andrew raised his hand, and, and we prayed with him to receive Christ. And uh, he's been growing ever since. And uh, he's, he actually moved into our house for a little while, right after he got saved. And uh, so he lived with us. He got to see us in, uh, in our, you know, I've got this pastor face right now, you know, big smile and everything. He got to see us through the trials we went through and, you know, the just daily mundane living and stuff. And, and uh, it was neat to get to know Andrew. Andrew and I, we, we talk with each other uh, at least twice a month and uh, pray for one another, and he's a dear brother in the Lord, and I'm so excited that he's here to share with you guys this morning. So, Andrew, why don't you come on up? And, and I'm going to just pray for Andrew, and, uh, and then uh, we'll, I'll just turn it over to Andrew. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for my brother Andrew, Lord God. Thank you for the life that you have given him, Lord, the, the things that you've shown him, and the place... Lord, you've grown him to, to being just a man of God, and I thank you for him. Lord, I uh, just pray your blessing upon him as he teaches uh, us your word this morning. And may you fill him with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Yay, Andrew! So we got that out of the way. That's good. That's good. Actually, we already, we already actually did the most important part of the morning, which was... Uh, Don's inviting us to stand and reading through the word of God, just publicly declaring God's word simply. That's, pff, it's all downhill from there, so I'm actually far more relaxed and grateful for that, and it saves me from having to spend that much time reading through it, so thank you. Yeah, I was going to joke about uh, how, uh, you know, people talk about being afraid of public speaking. People rate fear of public speaking above being afraid of death which means at any given funeral, a person would rather be in the casket than the one delivering the eulogy. But, but it's not that bad, like I say. The best part of, of the morning is already done, just hearing God's word. And I'm here as a, as a tool in God's hand to hopefully expound on his word and, and just enrich us in the knowledge of God, the creator, who, who made us for his own reasons. And in spite of everything we've done that is contrary to who he is. He is life and light and purity and wholeness, and we are so not. We are so children of Adam. But even before he created the world, he had this plan in place to demonstrate his amazing love that through the Lord Jesus Christ, his son, who is the man, the God-man, fully God, fully man, he would demonstrate the fullness of his love that he would lay down his life to redeem us and call us his family. Wild. All right. So if you have a Bible, please do turn to Leviticus 14. Um, 
I do want to make a special point of uh, robbing Don of some of his rewards, but I know he's got plenty, so it'll be okay. We are all of us very blessed to have a pastor who reads through the Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse, from cover to cover. And as he said, when I started coming, uh, Wednesday night was John 15, uh, Sunday morning was Exodus. It was, uh, it was March 14th of 2004 when we were in, I think, Exodus 12. And, uh, and that was the day I gave my life to the Lord. Um, there's, there's, a, there's a lot to that story. But uh, I wanted to make a point of that because there are some in the church who say that the preaching of the Old Testament is not necessary who say that we should just focus on the New Testament scriptures, that the Old Testament was an old covenant. Yeah, it had its place, but the point was to deliver Christ, and now the Christ has come. We don't need to worry about that stuff anymore. Um, There are some who even more would never preach out of the book of Leviticus. I mean, Leviticus, it's a bunch of laws and blood and this and that. Um, Today I'm going to be sharing with you a prophetic type, a picture in the book of Leviticus, chapter 16, that I've never heard anyone preach on and that I don't believe is found anywhere else in Scripture. It's a picture of Christ and the cross. And uh, so that's a little teaser to help you guys stay awake. So my name is Andrew. I was born April 78 in Macomb, Illinois. This is just some of you know me, some of you don't. I just want to let you know kind of a little bit about who I am. Um, I'm born in Macomb, Illinois. Um, my blood father was getting his master's degree at Western Illinois University in Macomb. I was born there April of 78. He got his master's in May, got a job at IBM, so the family moved up here. Um, my parents divorced. He moved away. My mom remarried an amazing man who is worthy of mention. He's been a wonderful example of selflessness and sacrifice and service and a lot of who I am is because of who he is, my father, David. I'm grateful to him. Um, A good, faithful Jewish husband. We went to uh, Shabbat services regularly, went to all the Jewish holidays. Um, I became a bar mitzvah, son of the commandment, at 13. And uh, a bar mitzvah is is interesting. Uh, it, It sort of parallels confirmation, where... You know, you've been going to services all your childhood, and then you come to this thing, and you're kind of like, yep, I know the stuff that I've been taught, and then you're kind of either all in or all out. Like, you're either like, yeah, this is the real deal, or, okay, I graduated, now I'm off to just do whatever I want. And um, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I was kind of probably the latter. (laughs) But uh, so so that's a little bit about my background. it's funny because people will, you know, say, oh, you're Jewish. You must know everything about the feasts and you know Hebrew and da-da-da. And I'm like, yeah, no, not, not, uh, not so much. I know what I know. And, uh, you know, I, no one of us is supposed to have it all. We are all parts of a body. You know, the whole body is not the ear or the eye or the nose. or We are all of us uniquely designed by God with passions and gifts and no one of those gifts by itself is going to do the work of the body as a whole it's when the body is together I mean this is 
Med City, right? I mean, we know how bodies work, that it is this collection of many different parts coming together that functions. And if any one part of that body is out of order, it hurts the whole body. None of this has anything to do with what I'm preaching. This is awesome. I love it. Okay. My personal experience with Yom Kippur. Um, as it's written, why don't I go ahead and open my Bible? Probably good for a Bible teacher to do. Uh, afflict your soul. It says a couple of times that, that this is a solemn affair, that we're to afflict our souls. Uh, in, the, uh, in, in my tradition, our family, it was um, fasting, that is, nothing to eat from Erev, Yom Kippur, the evening before until the evening of. Um, services pretty much all day long. No video games. <sighs> that was affliction. <laughs> Seriously. No video games, no phone calls, no TV, nothing. It was, you go to services, you come home. There was a period in the afternoon sort of after the uh, noontime service where we would come home, and, and our parents encouraged us to just reflect, think about what this means, because this is serious. Um, a part of uh, the Yom Kippur service that I remember very well is uh, in the Hebrew, it's called the Ashamnu, which is uh, going through, it, it's sort of a poetic form called an acrostic, where you have the alphabet, you know, in English it would be A, B, C, D, uh, as all the lines and you go through the whole alphabet you know if God is awesome God is the best God is my champion God is well dressed or something but yeah A B C D so you go through the alphabet the Ashamnu is listing off our sin from A to Z and I haven't been to a service uh, B'nai Israel was, was the, the synagogue I grew up in here in Rochester I haven't been to a service in over 20 years and I can recite it verbatim we abuse, we betray, we are cruel, we destroy, we embitter, we falsify, we gossip, we hate, we insult, we jeer, we kill, we lie, we mock, we neglect, we oppress, we pervert, we quarrel, we rebel, we steal, we transgress, we are unkind, we are violent, we're wicked, xenophobic, we yield to evil and we are zealots for bad causes. And we would do that, I think, at least twice. Um, and I remember as a child, <laughs> I think I was 11 years old, and I remember because, I mean, it, it, words mean things. And I, I knew the heaviness of what I was saying. And I, I, I remember one year I asked my mom, I said, I'm an 11-year-old kid. I don't do all this stuff. I don't, you know, like, and she said, well, it's, it's as a community, you know. We, all of us as a community are, are confessing this thing. And, uh, you know, the scripture says, rhetorically, Paul writes saying, you know, what advantage does a Jewish person have? And the answer is much <laughs> in every way, principally that they have the oracles, that is the scripture, the word of God. But uh, for me personally, Yom Kippur is a significant part of my testimony because it was in um, on Yom Kippur of 2002 when I was at my, my grandfather's synagogue. It was the last high holiday service they were going to have. And um, 
what, 22, so I would have been uh, 24. No, 78? Yeah, 24. And um, the Holy Spirit, you know, he's everywhere. He was there, and he was really busting me up because I had lived some life. And uh, so I was sort of in my own little bubble as we're going through this business, confessing our sin and afflicting our soul, and the reality of it was just was strong. It was heavy, and, uh, you know, Jewish religion as it is today, rabbinic Judaism, it doesn't talk about hell or Gehenna or any place of punishment or anything like that. God is just, and he will judge, but it's very nebulous. It's not specific. But, but the Holy Spirit by himself brought me to a place where I said, I'm a sinner, and if there's a hell, <laughs> I deserve to go there. And it was kind of, it was kind of, um, uh, how do you say? I didn't have any. There was no sadness about it. It was just, it was just acknowledging, like, yeah. I mean, that's, it makes sense. I deserve that, you know. And I think that's the point, the point in my life where God was able to. And pointing out my sin and convicting me of my guilt and start leading me to Calvary and showing me what he did so that I wouldn't have to go. So enough about me. Let's get there. Leviticus 16. All right. So about Yom Kippur, um, the first verse here is significant. I got all this stuff about review, which, uh, oh, yeah, the review we have to do, but I don't have to read the whole chapter. Aren't you grateful? Um, so a little bit of review. Okay, so in Exodus 40, which you guys will get to eventually, I know you just finished up Genesis, right? So we'll be getting into Exodus at some point, maybe Wednesday nights. We'll see how. I don't want to jinx it, but stick around because you guys are in for a good ride. I've been there. It's good, I'll tell you. So Exodus 40, the tabernacle is set up. That is, uh, you know, at the end of Genesis, we have got the children of Israel down in Egypt and then Exodus, uh, the book of Exodus opens that a new king rose up over Egypt who didn't know Joseph, who didn't know the arrangement, and he just sees this nation growing in his land. He's like, uh, no, because what if we go to war against someone and they're like, hey, we're sick of these people too. And they, you know, so they set these taskmasters and they oppress them for 400 years as God had already prophesied, telling Abraham, you know, your, your descendants will be um, captive in a land for 400 years raises up Moses, delivers the people out of Israel. So there they are in the wilderness, and God is, is setting up the covenant wherein he will be with them. They will be his people, he will be their God, and they will be together. But in order to be together, there has to be this, this meeting place, this structure, because God is, is holy, and he can't, we cannot enter into his presence you know Moses at one point uh was you know kind of chatting with God and, and he just got overwhelmed he was like show me your glory show show me who you are and God said I I can't you can't see me or you'll die you know he's he's that holy so much of of uh, the latter bit of the book of Exodus is the establishment of this tabernacle which is just a, a tent um, sort of, uh, yeah, tent, and then it's got drapes all around it, so it's this contained area. And um, 
when we get into the book of Leviticus, Leviticus 1 through 7 is uh, an outline of different offerings for different situations. You know, if this happens, then you've got to do this. If this happens, you've got to do that. Uh, if you want to bring, you know, some sort of peace offering or if you want to do this, like there's a specific way to do it. There's, there's all these regulations. It's very, very specific. And in Leviticus 8 is the actual prep. It's like the here we go, okay? Because all the details have been given. Start building this thing. Leviticus 9, they put it all together, and they do everything exactly the way God says. And at the end of Leviticus 9, God shows up. He demonstrates his glory by, well, it says he manifests his glory. They put an offering on the altar. He consumed it himself with fire, and everyone was like, woo, God is here. And then Leviticus 10 Verse 1 says, the sons of Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu took up fire pans. They put fire in them. They got all excited. They put incense in them. They started dancing around. And God said, stop. No. He said, that, I didn't say anything about that. You have to worship me my way. We can go all the way back to the garden and discover how quick it took for humanity to try to figure out its own way to approach God. He said, no. So, and he said right then and there in uh, the third verse of Leviticus 10, he said, well, through Moses, he said, those who come near me, I will be treated as holy. This is going to be my way. Okay. Scared myself. <laughs> so then Leviticus 11, we go back into these laws about cleanliness. I mean, we got, you know, these dead corpses or whatever, and they get carried off. And then it's, there's like more instructions that leads up to verse or to uh, Leviticus 16, which I have finally gotten to after maybe 20 minutes. So verse one, the Lord said to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they offered before the Lord and died, that's significant because it is a reminder that God will only be approached his way. We can't make up our own system. We can't make up our own rules because then we're just making up our own God. He says, I am God, and you will treat me as holy, and this is how you're to approach me. So verse 2, he says, speak to Aaron, your brother, that he cannot come at just any time into the holy place within the veil before the mercy seat, which is upon the ark, otherwise he'll die because I'm going to appear in the cloud on the mercy seat. And so he lays, out, he lays out all these instructions. And so picture this. We've got, uh, we've got, this, we've got this, uh, this young bull. We've got the ram. And God says, okay, so he's going to he's gonna get all dressed up. He's going to put on these very special garments. He's going to um, take uh, two kids of the goats for a sin offering. This is, oh, you're going to love this and a ram for a burnt offering. And so he's going to offer the bull for himself. See, this is part of the problem with this whole arrangement from the get-go is that the priest, who is the intermediary between God and man, he is a child of Adam. He is sin corrupted. So he's got to like atone for himself before he can even do anything for anyone else. So, the, I mean, the whole thing is just sort of makeshift from the get-go as far as like having fallen people intercede for themselves to God, to be that mediator between God and man. So, so Aaron, you know, offers the bull, 
which is for him. And then uh, verse 7, he'll take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle. And he's going to cast these lots. He's basically going to, they had the, the Urim and the Thummim, which were, we don't know exactly what they are, but it was a way of, of sort of essentially flipping a coin, saying, heads, it's this one, tails, it's that one, whatever. And uh, so he casts the lots, and one of them is going to be for the Lord, and one of them is going to be the scapegoat, this Azazel. Azazel is the Hebrew for scapegoat. And the goat upon which the Lord's lot fell, that is the one that's going to be presented to God, that one's going to be a sin offering. That one's going to be slaughtered, and its blood is going to be sprinkled. It's going to be sprinkled on the mercy seat. It's going to be to make atonement for that. It's going to, it's going to be, or to uh, atonement for the congregation, rather, on behalf of the congregation, over the mercy seat, over the altar. And uh, so, yeah, so kind of, it, it's not chronological. It kind of jumps around a little bit. Okay, so verse 12, so verse 11. Okay, so getting back. Okay, so we sacrifice the bull, which is for him and for his house, kills the bull. Okay, verse 12, he takes the censer of coals, from before the altar, and he puts some incense in it, brings it into the veil, puts it in the uh, on the fire before the Lord, so that there's this cloud, so that it, it is, he's not actually beholding God in all of his godness, like there is a cloud, so it's sort of obscured. And he takes some of the blood of the bull and he sprinkles it. This, this sprinkling picture, you know, picture sprinkling. Think of a sprinkler, you know. There's just there's droplets going everywhere except it's blood blood he takes some of the blood of the bull and and he sprinkles it with his finger towards the mercy mercy seat eastward which is significant because the garden was established east in eden and when adam and his wife were kicked out they were kicked out to the east so everything about coming to god comes from east to west the door of the tabernacle was on the east end. It came from east to west. The temple faces eastward. The entrance is from east to west. And when the Lord returns, he's going to touch down on the Mount of Olives and walk into the city from east to west. So he sprinkles the blood, and then he kills the goat that's for the people. Brings the blood in, does as he did with the blood of the bull. Sprinkles it on the mercy seat, before the mercy seat makes atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness, verse 16, because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of their transgression in all their sins. And so he shall do for the tabernacle of the congregation that remains among them in the midst of their uncleanness. No man goes into the tabernacle until he comes out and has made atonement for himself. He has to do this himself. This is a one-man job. He goes out to the altar, the big bronze altar that was out in front of the tent he sprinkles uh takes the blood of the bull and the blood of the goat puts it on the horns all around sprinkles the blood and hallows it from the uncleanness of the children of israel and when he's when he's made an end of all this stuff with the bulls now we get and and with the first goat now we get to the second goat the azazel the scapegoat in verse 21, it says, And Aaron shall lay both his hands upon the head of the live goat. <clears throat> you know, we've lost a lot in roughly 2,000 years of uh, not having the temple and not having sacrifices. We, uh, Chastity and I, we have a little 
pug dog. He's he's adorable, and um, I can't imagine having to, in the prime of his life, take him and 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 put my hand on him, and say, before God, you know, I, I've I've stolen from my job, I have looked with lust, I've I've done these horrible things, and then watch that creature be flayed in pieces right in front of me. This happened every day at the temple, twice, morning, evening, Sabbath, feasts, all the time there was this <clears throat> the sacrifice. It's intense. It's a good practice Chastity and I have to, uh, to watch the Passion at uh, Resurrection Day season for, to remember <laughs> what he went through. Um, but, so, verse 21, Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of this live goat and confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions in all their sins. This is all-encompassing. And it's, a, it's actually a, a, a nod back to um, Exodus 34. Um, as I said, God's, uh, Moses said to God, you know, show me your glory. Let me see you. And God says, well, I, I can't because that will kill you. But here's what I'll do. There's, there's a certain rock. And, you, and you, you're going to stand sort of in this cleft in the rock. Get in the rock. And what I'll do is I'll kind of like, if you're here, I'll kind of like, I'll cover you with my hand, and I'll kind of whoosh around, and you can see just my backside, okay? You can see all my goodness that kind of trails behind me. And uh, that's in Exodus uh, 34, verses 5, 6, and 7. And that's something else that we recite on Yom Kippur, that particular scripture, which is uh, Adonai, Adonai, El Rachum V'chanun, Erech Apayim V'rav Chesed V'emet, which is everything up to the judgment. It's all the mercy stuff. Because we don't want the judgment stuff on Yom Kippur. We just want the mercy stuff. That, you know, the Lord, well, let me jump there real quick. Who doesn't love technology? I don't when I pick the wrong chapter. The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious long-suffering that is slow to anger, abundant, overflowing. I think of dump trucks just pouring out goodness and truth, extending mercy to thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. It's everything. It's from those dastardly deeds you do with full intent of malice, knowing full well they're wrong, to the harmful things you did, not really knowing that they would turn out so harmful to the teeniest, tiniest things. Everything. He will forgive it. And yet it goes on to say that he will by no means clear the guilty, but he visits the iniquity of the fathers to the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation, which is another study for another time. But basically, this is sort of a clue about um, genetics and how the children of parents who have certain issues are predisposed to those. It's not that he's visiting them like he's going to punish the children for the sins of the father. It's just that that thing kind of goes on. The man who's an alcoholic is more likely to have children who turn out to be alcoholics who are 
more likely to have children who turn out. So, um, but he forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. So, it's all-encompassing. Back to Leviticus 16. So he lays both his hands, verse 21, he lays both his hands on the head of this live goat, confesses over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions and all their sins. Iniquity, transgression, sin. All of it. On the head of the goat and shall send him away by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness. Not fit as in, you know, like buff. In fact, the word, uh, and this is, Remember the teaser? This is it. So get your notepads out. Um, the word that's translated fit here, it can also be translated ready or timely or, you know, ready. Uh, it's, it's the word et, which, which is a, uh, it, it only appears in the Old Testament in this one place. It's a variation of the root word et, which is not aleph tav. It is ayin. Tav, Ayin being another silent letter. And this et, Ayin Tav, means time, as in a very specific occasion, as in something sort of ordained, significant. This ordained, significant, ready, timely man. Have you ever wondered why God would allow a fallen mortal man to help the Messiah carry his cross up to Calvary? Why would he do that? There are some actually who say, you know, well, it's a, it's a lesson that even Jesus needed help. Don't let, that, don't let them lie to you like that. Don't let them depreciate the Son of God like that. The same Jesus that could have prayed for a legion of angels to save him in the garden could have prayed for the strength to carry the cross. He didn't need anybody. The reason that God allowed a man, Simon of Cyrene, to help him with the cross was to fulfill this type. That the live goat would be led into the wilderness by a man who was ready, who was there, who, you know, just kind of happened to be there and he shall let that goat go into the wilderness so Aaron will come into the tabernacle and, and he'll put off the linen garments after all this is done he, he takes off the holy stuff he washes himself um, and uh, he offers his burnt offering which is atonement for himself and for the people the fat is burned on the altar and he that let that goat go, that timely man, just happened to be there to assist this goat out into the wilderness, outside of the camp, he has to go and likewise he um, um, has to bathe his flesh in water and, uh, and then come into the camp. And then the, uh, verse 27, it says, the bull for the sin offering, the goat for the sin offering, the, the, the one goat that was slain and the, and the blood sprinkled everywhere, they, um, 
they take those carcasses and they take them outside the camp and they burn it outside the camp. So there's this mix of stuff going on inside the camp, inside the holy place, out in the, in the, in the, um, the bronze altar, and then outside the camp as far as the wilderness. So what's up with all that? Well, there's a couple things that, that happen that were completed, accomplished through the sacrifice of Christ. In his death, he paid for our sin, yes. But if all he did was pay our sin debt then we've gone from being in debt to being broke. What's that? We are, in Christ, so much more than broke. We're rich, right? Because he didn't just pay for our sin. He completely took them away. Like, they are gone. So, you're not just not guilty you're innocent now we get to what is perhaps the saddest part of this whole arrangement in the old testament according to the old covenant in verse 29 it says this shall be a statute forever unto you that in the seventh month on the tenth day of the month you afflict your souls you do no work you or stranger or whoever's kind of hanging out with you on that because on that day the priest is making atonement for you to cleanse you that you may be clean of all your sins before the sab- uh, before the lord it shall be a sabbath of rest unto you and you shall uh, afflict your souls by a statute for ever And the priest whom he anoints and whom he consecrates to minister in the priest's office in his father's stead, he makes the atonement, puts on the linen clothes, yada, yada, yada. He does all his business, verse 34. This shall be an everlasting statute forever. You're going to do this forever to make atonement for the children of Israel for all their sins once a year. You remember in the garden that... uh, that after Adam and his wife had partaken of the tree of the the fruit of the tree that was forbidden to them, that after he declared all the consequences, everything that was going to happen now, as well as the promise of how he was going to fix everything nested in there, he said, okay, well, now we got to block the way to the tree of life, lest they live forever. What's wrong with living forever? Living forever in fallen sin can you imagine the havoc that humans could do if they lived forever people can people can murder strangers with guns or trucks or pressure cookers 30 40 50 years that's all they need to figure it out can you imagine what these people could figure out in hundreds and thousands of years. And so this really is sort of a 
<laughs> kind of a sad promise. It's a command, but but it carries this this weight of this is going to go on forever. You're never going to be done with this ever. But I don't want to end on a bad note. So how about some good news? Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 9. So in Hebrews chapter 9, it's talking about this first covenant. The book of of Hebrews, we all know who wrote the book of Hebrews, right? The Holy Spirit. The book of Hebrews is all about comparing these two covenants. There was a covenant established in uh, Exodus, if I remember right, it's 24 where Moses, again with blood, sprinkled the, the, the book of the law, and he sprinkled the people, and he said, this is the blood of the covenant. If you do what God says, everything will be fine. If you don't, whew. so watch yourself. That's not the relationship God ever wanted to have with his kids. Can you parents imagine having that kind of contract with your kids? Do what I say or I'll kill you. And sign here. You know, that's why the Bible says that the letter kills. The Spirit gives life. With God's Spirit in us, through the regeneration, we want to do what he wants and what is good and pleasant. Not because we're afraid he'll kill us, but because we love him. And we love him because he loved us first. So Hebrews 9 talking about you know the tabernacle how it was set up it had the holy of holies which had this altar of incense and the ark of the covenant and this and that and all the other and there's this outer tabernacle you know sort of the there's the because you've got the court the courtyard and then you've got inside the tent but only in the first area and then you've got the holy of holies which in verse 7 it says, into this second, this area, this holy of holies, the high priest enters once a year, and not without blood, which he offers for himself and the sins of the people committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit is signifying this, that the way into the holy place has not yet been disclosed while the outer tabernacle is still standing. If we go to verse 11, it says, when Christ appeared as high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation. God did this whole thing himself, and that was an inherent flaw of the first covenant from the get-go, is that it depended on us, and we're already broken. So there really is no way for us to perfectly do what he wanted in terms of cleansing ourselves, because we were already dirty. And so he did it himself. And not through the blood of goats and calves, verse 12, but through his own blood, he entered the holy place once for all, once for 
all, having obtained eternal redemption, no more everlasting statute, no more regulations forever and forever and forever, once for all. Said if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who've been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, how much more will that cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? For this reason, he's the mediator of a new covenant. It goes on to talk about um, the blood that Moses in verse 19, talking about, you know, Moses took the blood and, and sprinkled it on the book and the people saying, this is, this is the blood of the covenant which God commanded you, that you got to do all this stuff. But uh, on Passover, some couple of thousand years ago, the Lord said, this is the blood of the new covenant. This is my blood. I'm going to take care of this. Hebrews 10 says, in those sacrifices, this business, there's a reminder of sins year by year. You know, every year people got to think, oh boy, here we go again, going through this whole business, all this blood and sacrifices and stuff because we keep doing wrong. It says it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And that's the thing is that, again, the one sacrifice paid for them, but the scapegoat took them away. They were gone. And so Christ, having borne our reproach and going outside the camp to be crucified, outside the camp, he took it all away. So it's not with us anymore. It's gone. Verse 11 of Hebrews 10, every priest stands daily ministering, offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. In all the instructions to Moses, God never said, make chairs. You're going to be on your feet day and night, killing, cleaning, wiping, fire. But he, that is Christ, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. It's done. It's done. Um, I am Jewish, and... We tend to go on and on and on. A couple of times in the New Testament, it's written, finally, my brother, and goes on for about two or three more chapters. I think that's a fair enough place to stop in saying that Christ is the once-for-all, completely sufficient sacrifice who by himself, because he was without sin, could present himself as a sacrifice for sin and take it all away. And we remember him with communion, which we're going to do this morning. And uh, it's cool the way that uh, it's written. I forget where exactly how it says that when we uh, take of communion, when we partake of the Lord's Supper, we are proclaiming his death till he comes. It's not just that Jesus died. He came back to life. He rose from death. He conquered death. Death had nothing on him. He did it for us. So if you would, let's, um, 
just uh, close your eyes for just a moment. Um, Pastor Don gave an invitation many years ago uh, for anyone who had not yet been born again to pray to receive Christ. And what that is, is it's confessing your sin to God. It's, it's, it's saying, I need this. I need it. And it's believing that Jesus did everything he said he did. That he, he said, you know, this is the blood of the new covenant. This is my blood, which is shed for the remission of sins. He said, I'm doing this for you. So, um, if there's anyone in here who has not yet been born again, if you haven't received Christ as your Savior, and you want to do that today, why don't you go ahead and stand up? You're not off the hook yet. Because the scripture also says that we need to partake of communion in a worthy manner. It says that people got sick and died for taking communion, but they weren't right. See, we can know the truth and yet walk in darkness and deceive ourselves. And this one is, is between you and the Lord. If... if uh, if you sense the Holy Spirit prompting you, if there's um, some sin that you are tangled up in, and it tangles us up, it's a trap. It's designed to trap us. We have a real enemy who really wants to mess us up so that God cannot use us. And it's so hard to come into the light. When, when Adam and his wife realized what they'd done, they covered themselves up, and even that wasn't enough. They hid. They didn't want to be seen for what they'd done wrong. And God just said, where are you? Where are you? Just come out. Tell me what you've done. And if, if you feel the Spirit prompting you, just between you and God, within your own heart, he sees you, he knows everything about you, just... Um, just make it right. Just say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for what I've done. I'm sorry for allowing myself to be distracted away from you and to get tangled up in this thing that, that is only death to me. And just ask him to, to change you, to, to, to reveal himself to you more, that, that his glory would be so captivating you couldn't think of anything else. Maybe, um, maybe you're here and your passion for God has waned. Maybe you're not quite as excited about serving God and being his child as you used to be. And the answer to that is, is very simple. The Lord was having supper with some Pharisees and this woman came in crying her face off. She wept all over his feet and washed his feet with, with her tears and dried him with her hair and the Pharisees like what is if this guy knew who this was and the Lord said hey 
I'm going to tell you a little story. There's a guy that had someone that owed him five bucks. The other owed him five million. He said, whatever. Just whatever. You're both forgiven. Don't even worry about it. He said, which one's going to love that man more? And he said, well, the, the guy that owed him more. He said, yeah. Yeah. So the key to loving much is realizing you've been forgiven much. And that doesn't mean that we get progressively worse as we walk in Christ. It just means that as we get closer to him, we see how yucky we really are. And so if, if you feel like perhaps your love has waned some, just ask him to reveal more of himself to you, more of his holiness. And as scary as it might be, show me the yucky in me that, that you have forgiven me freely by yourself. You did it. I didn't even know that that was in me. And you freely forgave me. Show me so that I can confess that. And you can work that out of me and continue to sanctify and purify me. If the, uh, the worship team would uh, go ahead and come back on up. It has been an honor and a privilege to, to minister God's word to you today. And God continues to do miracles. He raises the dead. He cures cancer. He heals the sick. But he does miraculous things like taking a 26-year-old screw-up and turning him into his kid. And really teaching him his word, really opening it up to him, and using him to minister life to other people. That's miraculous. And as his kids, you each of you have a gift. It's something. It says when, uh, oh, I forget how it's written, but, uh, but that he, he gave gifts. So everybody's got at least one. And... With that gift, you have a some passion, something that drives you. It could be the poor. It could be orphans, uh, the homeless, uh, people with illnesses, older people with terminal illnesses, the lost, anything. I mean, whatever it is. Prayerfully seek how to combine that passion with the gift. If you don't know what your gift is, pray about that. And I know, I'm sure that uh, Pastor Don has resources. There are resources that will help you kind of explore, like, what specifically your, your gifts are. And then combine that with your passion and, and serve. It's, it's amazing. So um, as the worship team plays and as you're led, um, just go ahead and come up and uh, take the elements and... Uh, in your own space between you and the Lord, just go ahead and partake and uh, let's celebrate our Savior.